Thank you for joining in for this City Lights Church podcast. We're a new church in the north of Brisbane, and you can find out more about us at www.citylights.community. We hope that this podcast encourages you in your journey of following Jesus. It is great to be here. And... uh... You guys are some of our favourite, some of our favourite pastors, <laughs> and uh, I love what you're doing. I loved your boldness in stepping out and starting a church, and uh, yeah, I think you're doing an outstanding job. Well, at the moment uh, in West End, in End Church, we're uh, working through a series called um, Responding to Jesus. And it's probably a little bit similar to your series, Andrew. We're looking at some of the key characters, some of the key players in the Christmas story, and we're particularly looking to see how they responded to the news about Jesus or to the person of Jesus. And uh, we're not just doing that so we can gain more information, but we want it to be transformational. So we're looking at how these different people responded to Jesus and asking the question, um, how can that shape and form? my response to Jesus. And again, uh, it's more than just information, it's transformation because we see how these different characters responded and we say, uh, how can that relate to my life? How does that impact how I respond to Jesus? Now, I'm not sure about you, but I haven't always responded well to Jesus. There's been times where my worship of him has been dismal. There's been times where I haven't been faithful to him. Sometimes I've ignored him. I think sometimes I haven't followed him as I know I should. And uh, I know there's times where I've neglected my relationship with him. Um, I don't know about you. Maybe you can identify with one or two of those or some of those at different stages in your Christian walk. But uh, I know that no one who loves Jesus would feel good about any of that. And so as we look at these different characters and see how they responded to Jesus, the the purpose of that, the point is so that we can respond well to Jesus. So maybe if you recognise that sometimes your response to Jesus is poor and imperfect, well, I think you're in good company. I'm pleased that you're here this morning. And hopefully and prayerfully, the Holy Spirit will encourage us and build us up as we respond properly to Jesus. So... This morning, I'd like to look at the wise men, or the king, the three kings, or the mad, you call them whatever you want. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But I want to look at these, uh, the, the magi in, this, in the book of Matthew and see how they responded to Jesus. So if you've got your Bibles there, I think it's on the screen, uh, Matthew chapter 2, looking at the first 12 verses of uh, Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi came from the east, uh, from the east, came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. This was the prophet Micah writing 700 years before the birth of Jesus. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. 
Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time that the star appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may worship him. After they'd heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was born. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and they worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented to him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. The story of, of the Magi is only found in the Gospel of Matthew. It doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels. And uh, I guess the passage that we have just read is probably one that's been more misrepresented than uh, any other passage in Scripture. We've added so much to this story and uh, over such a long period of time that there's things that we just assume are true and yet you know, the Scriptures don't indicate that. And uh, when we even think about the, the kings or the magi, there's a whole lot of images that come to mind and generally they're images that come from our traditional nativity scene. We sing that beautiful carol, uh, We Three Kings of Orient Are, but there's no indication there were three kings. We get the number three from the three, three gifts of gold, frankincense and, and myrrh, but there's no indication that there were three, there could have been five, there could have been ten. One guy reckoned there could have been 70. Who knows? That's a lot of people turning up at your little house in Bethlehem, isn't it, that you have to feed? So we don't know how many um, kings there were. We don't know that they were kings. And most scholars say they weren't kings. They weren't uh, wise men, uh, that they were probably astrologers. And again, we're not into astrology and we don't kind of follow the stars, maybe in the same way these guys were. They probably came from Babylon or, or from Persia. We know they came from the east. Um, and while we re traditionally refer to them as kings and wise men, again, the scriptures don't say that at all. They just call them magi, which is a Greek word that has Persian roots. And it's generally used when it's talking about a priestly caste. So they were, they were kind of right at the top of society, I guess, right up there in the, in the pecking order of society. They were incredibly wealthy. We know that from the gifts that they presented. Um, and we know that they were seekers of the truth. So they were probably specialists in dream interpretation. Um, you know, for a number of years, we go into the New Age Festival, the Mind-Body-Spirit Festival, and I, I just have a feeling that these guys, the Magi, would be quite comfortable there doing their dream interpretations and reading the stars and doing all the uh, astrological readings. And uh, I guess when we look at the, our nativity scenes, I mean, uh, even at Christmas, there's a big contradiction there because most, we know that they didn't turn up the night that Jesus was born. You know, they could have come up to two years later. You know, Jesus could have been a little two-year-old boy running around doing what little two-year-old boys do when all these incredible people turn up, and we don't know how many there were, but if there were three kings, they probably were three um, astrologers, three, three of these wise men, or whatever you want to call them, they probably came with a big entourage. And Bethlehem was a little village. This would have been a big event. But they weren't there the night that Jesus was born. My wife's very tolerant 
uh, of trying to bring a little bit of biblical theology to our nativity scene. She sets it up all nicely. We've got a nice one set up in West End at the moment. And I just come along and I pick up the three kings and I move them to the other side of the room. And I tell her, they're not there yet. They're still on the journey. They're still coming. Um, Yeah, I don't know that she'll ever get it. But anyway, I have a little bit of OCD and I've just got to get the theology right. Otherwise, it's going to drive me mad all of Christmas. So you can see we need to pull back some of the layers of the story that we probably just assume and have accepted. And I think when we do that, we can see something a little bit deeper. Because I think in the journey of the Magi, we see something of the spiritual journey that we're all called to make. You know, they're coming from the east, they're coming from a place of darkness, they're following the light, they're coming out of darkness, like uh, each and every one of us has to do when we come into relationship with Jesus. And I think when we look at this passage, when we look at that story, we can see a picture of this journey that every believer has to take if we want to be in that place of authentic and passionate relationship with Jesus, if we want to become true worshippers of Jesus. And I think the fact that you're here today indicates that you're well and truly on this journey. And I think the the journey for every Christian begins with asking questions. The Magi are studying the stars. You know, maybe uh, maybe they came from Babylon. And, you know, 700 years, 650 years before the Jews were in Babylon, maybe they'd heard some of the prophecies about the king to come, about the Messiah, who knows. But they're asking questions about what they're seeing. They're asking questions about what's this star? What does it mean? And I think for every Christian, all of our journeys begin with asking questions. I know for me it began with with the question, God, do you exist? Because I wanted him to exist so badly. I was 26 in Townsville, my life was a mess. And I remember waking up with a, a shocking hangover one morning. I'd been on a bender for a couple of days and I remember saying, God, do you exist? If you're real, you need to let me know because I can see no point in continuing to live my life like this. My journey with God began with a question. And I think for so many of us, it begins with a question. We question our environment. We question our situation. We question the things that we see around us and ask questions of God or whatever that force is in the universe. And that's what the Magi did. They were looking at what was happening around them and they began to ask questions. And maybe you're here today and you're not sure about God. Well, this is a great opportunity for you to start to ask questions as well. And I think you're in a good place to maybe have some of your questions answered. There's so much that the Magi didn't know, um, but they commenced the journey anyway. So we come to that place of questioning, and the minute we do that, we, we start this journey, we commence this journey. Their journey maybe took two or three months. We don't know how long it took to come across from Babylon or Persia or wherever they are, but it took them a considerable amount of time to come. I I know I missed a part there where I was going to say that, you know, I I know that I have contributed to a lot of the myths of, uh, you know, the story of the three kings over the years. And, like, I've done it quite willingly. I've ridden a camel in a Christmas pageant. I've been one of the three kings and all of that. So I have to confess, I don't want you to think that I've always had my theology, you know, exactly perfect. I haven't, as you can tell by that photo. There's so much the Magi didn't know. There's so much they didn't understand. But they commenced the journey. And I think for all of us it's like that. 
I mean, I'm still asking questions of God, you know, uh, 35, 36 years later. There's, there's, there's questions I haven't got answers to, and I think that's healthy. I think it's good to ask questions. It's good to have doubts. It's good to keep coming back and trusting who Jesus is and all that we know about Jesus. But uh, they had to begin this journey, and, and it would have been at some cost to them. You know, taking that whole entourage across the desert would have cost money. And then there's the, I guess you would have had to overcome a certain amount of fear. There would have been fear of, you know, going into a foreign country, a foreign king. Herod was a nightmare. <laughs> and they went into his presence. There would have been the fear about um, being attacked, getting lost in the desert, you know, going to a strange place. Uh, their whole life's changing. But they still embarked on this journey because they were seeking the truth. And when you begin to ask questions about Jesus, can I tell you, that can involve considerable risk. It can involve incredible risk uh, because everything could be at stake. It could mean that things are going to change. You know, I lost some friends when I became a Christian. Relationships changed. A whole lot of things changed for me and maybe you have that same experience. There's a cost when you want to follow Jesus wholeheartedly. It might not come immediately, it, it might come later. But there's a, uh, things have to change, your lifestyle has to change, you have to, uh, desires change, a whole lot of things change and it can come at incredible cost. But Jesus told us that. He told us that to follow him would cost us everything. You know, we've got this idea sometimes that Jesus came to make us happy, but he didn't, he came to make us holy. <laughs> there's a big difference. And we see that when Jesus talks about the cost there is in following him. Matthew chapter 16, a few chapters later on, Jesus says this to his disciples. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Gee, that's a winner, isn't it? If you're looking for a good sales pitch, you've got to deny yourselves and take up the cross, which is a symbol of death. For whoever wants to, leave, uh, whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in his Father's glory with his angels, and then he will reward each person according to what they have done. After you start asking questions, after you begin this journey, then ultimately you come into the presence of Jesus. And that's what the wise men did. Now, you might not literally come into the presence of Jesus yourself, but you are coming into his truth and his reality when you start asking questions when you begin the journey. And this is a crucial point. This is like the valley of decision. When we come to this place, this is where we have to make the decision of, firstly, if we're going to follow Jesus, and then secondly, of how we're going to follow Jesus. Herod is confronted with the, with the reality and presence of Jesus, and he gets angry. He wants to kill him, and some people do that. I don't know if you know Stephen Fry. He's a, a noted atheist and very vocal. Um, and when he talks about God not existing, he's a little bit like, God doesn't exist and I hate him. It's like, what? <laughs> and you really get that sense. And that certainly was, you know, Herod's response was anger to the fact that there was another king. You know, we see the, the response of the religious leaders. They were apathetic. You know, Herod calls them in. So where's the Messiah going to be born? They know the scriptures. They know it back to front. And they know he's going to be born in Bethlehem. And they tell Herod where he's going to be born. And you would think then, when all of this big entourage comes from the east, we're looking for the new king. We're following his star. 
wouldn't you think their first response would be, go back to the temple, pack up a few bags, we're going to follow the kings because I was being born in Bethlehem. They didn't. There's no record of them going anywhere near Bethlehem. They're apathetic. When we come into the presence of Jesus, you know, what's your response going to be? Are we going to be angry at the fact that he wants to be king over our lives and it's not us anymore, it's him? Are we going to be apathetic? Well, it doesn't really matter. We don't care. Or are we going to be like the Magi who bowed down and worshipped him? And I think that's the response Jesus is looking for from us. He doesn't want us to be apathetic. He doesn't want us to be angry. You know, we've just read there in Matthew 16 that, yeah, you might have to give up things, but we're going to gain everything. And the things that we gain cannot be measured in this world. We've got no idea what is ahead of those uh, who love Jesus. And, you know, when they die, when they shuffle off this mortal coil, they're in relationship with Jesus. It's going to be incredible. We can't even conceive what that's going to be like. But the promises are all there. I love the fact that the Magi, they're outsiders. They're not Jews. They're pagans. They're astrologers. And these are the first ones, or some of the first ones, who come to worship Jesus. We know the shepherds have been there, the lowest class of you know, anyone in Israel. They've been there and worshipped Jesus. And now we've got pagans, astrologers, coming to worship Jesus. And Jesus is accepting, God's accepting that worship. I love that. And it's like a little bit of a theme of the Gospels, isn't it? That the Gospels for those that don't count, for the outsiders, for the downtrodden. It's for everyone but it's for them as well. I love how we see these great men, these magi, how many ever there were, laying down, like falling on their face before Jesus. These grown men coming before this young child and recognising in the person of Jesus that this is the new king, this is the Messiah, laying their gifts down. There's no rejection of Christ here. There's no apathy from these guys. They are full in. Everything, heart, mind, soul, they're consumed with this new king. Are you and I consumed with the person of Jesus? We should be consumed with the person of Jesus. It should be the thing that motivates us. It should be the thing that directs our life. It should be the thing that directs our thoughts and our actions and what we do with our resources and what we do in our relationships. We should be consumed with the person of Jesus. And our goal is to worship Jesus as the king. Not as some celestial Santa Claus that's going to come to you whether you're naughty or nice. And that's a picture that we have. You know, Jesus is there for me. It's like, Jesus, I'm riding this stagecoach. I just want you to ride shotgun just in case. It's not like that at all. It's he's the king. And the Magi got this. They're, they're, they're bowing down before him and worshipping. And this is what we're called to do. It's important that Jesus is not an add-on to our nice little comfortable lives. It's essential that Jesus is the king, that he's the Lord of our lives. And I guess a really good test of whether Jesus is the Lord of our lives is to ask ourselves the question, do we give him everything? Our time, our talents, our resources, you know, our goals, our future. Do we bring it all before him and say, Jesus, this is all for you? And I think the response to the reality 
of Jesus, who Jesus is, has to be worship. I love that second song you did, Sally. It really kind of sums up this message I felt when you started to, to, to um, lead us in worship this morning. Um, our response to Jesus has to be one of worship. Now, you know, I know we might need to unpack that. What does worship mean? Because it depends, you know, where you come from. It depends on where your background is. If you're from a traditional church, and when we talk about worship, we're talking about the whole church service. If you're a singer or a musician, you're probably just talking about the songs that we sing, you know, as part of the church. If you're maybe from one of the um, traditional Catholic monastic orders, well, for them, it's everything. Worship is absolutely everything that we do. If you have no church background, maybe worship's just the second part of a magistrate's name or something to do with Wally Lewis at Lang Park, I don't know. But uh, we often do do that. You going okay this morning? You're pretty quiet. You're listening? Good. Because I think I'm preaching better than you're responding. I, I don't know. Just could be. It's a hard message. Um, in preparing this message, I'm like, I'm incredibly convicted. <laughs> it, it's easy to get up and put a message together and get up and preach it, but tell you what, it's hard to live it. <laughs> and uh, this is my struggle. I'm like in the in-between of this is how I should be living, but, but Lord, you know I'm not living like this, but I want you to live like that. And I want to live like this. <laughs> it is a very tough message. And, you know, when we talk about what worship is, uh, you know, we, we go to Romans chapter 12, because Paul talks about what worship looks like. He says this in Romans 12, verses 1 to 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not be conformed to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing and perfect will. The offering of our bodies as a living sacrifice. I don't know what image you have there, but I have an image of being sacrificed on an altar, my body being sacrificed on an altar. And uh, is this worship? <laughs> is this what's Paul talking about? Well, he's talking about being prepared to give up your life. Offering, offering our lives, offering our bodies as a living sacrifice. We're living as though we're dead to ourselves. And this is true and proper worship. Man, that's more than just what happens on a Sunday. That's more than just the songs that we do, you know, as part of the church. So this is everything. This is being completely consumed with the person of Jesus, with his glory, with his majesty, with who he is, with what he's accomplished for us on the cross of Calvary. This is absolutely everything. I love how the Message Bible paraphrases this uh, first verse. They say, take your everyday ordinary life. You're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, you're wa walking around life and place it before God as an offering. That's all encompassing, isn't it? It's everything. And this is how we're called to worship Jesus. So worship's everything. It, and it happens when Jesus at the center is at the center of our life. And it covers everything. It covers church. It covers work. It covers home. It covers relationships. It covers entertainment choices. It covers sport. It covers just about everything. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. What a powerful picture that is.
there was a, uh, a French monk in the 17th century by the name of uh, Brother Lawrence. He wrote a, a book called Practicing the Presence of God. It's a classic book. And in that book, he's trying to work out how is it that we worship God uh, properly? How do we do that? And uh, Brother Lawrence said this. He said, we should dedicate ourselves to becoming in this life the most perfect worshippers of God as can possibly be and as we hope to be through all eternity. He's saying this is your main focus. Dedicate yourselves to becoming the perfect worshippers of God. And what he tried to do was to transform everything he did into an act of worship, whether it was washing up the dishes or cooking for the other monks, whether it was uh, farming, whether it was in the relationships, in his garden, whatever, everything he did, he, he took that and put it before the Lord and he wanted this to be as part of his worship of Jesus. And he believed the key to being in that place was to change your mind, to change your attitude. And uh, Brother Lawrence thought if we could change our mind and change our attitude about how we even saw the mundane things and saw these as potential acts of worship before God, he said, this is true worship. This is real worship. This is the worship that Paul talks about, your true and proper worship. So worship then is our attitude. It's, it's what we think about everything that we do as well. It's an attitude of reverence and, and adoration and we come to it with humility in our hearts and in our lives. And I guess the question is, if this is how we're supposed to live, how do we develop worshipful lives? Are there things that can help us to respond to Jesus in the way that the Magi did? You know, giving their whole lives up for the king. <clears throat> Laying down in front of him, giving them all their worship, all the treasures they're giving them to Jesus. And I think uh, that Romans uh, chapter 12 verse 2 gives us some hints where Paul says, don't conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. That word transformed, there's a, a word that's used there, and the Greek word is metamorpho, where we get the word metamorphosis, you know, where the, the lava to the butterfly. It's a complete change, a complete change of form. And that's what Paul is saying, you know, the, the world's going to try and push you into this. This is what a Christian should do. This is what a Christian should look like. This is the life that you should live or whatever. But he's saying don't be conformed to what the world says or what those around you say. Be conformed to, um, by the renewing of your mind. And how do we renew our mind? Well, again, I think there's things that we can do to help us to change our attitude, like Brother Lawrence suggested, to change our minds so that we think differently about all of our lives and all that we do. I mean, I think we're transformed by the word of God. I mean, what a great privilege it is for all of us to have a Bible. You know, someone said recently, well, you know, Bible reading is not that important. In the early church, they didn't have Bibles. No, they didn't. But what would they say to you if they knew that you had one and you didn't even open it? <laughs> You know, people have laid down their lives so that we can have access to, to Bibles, to the scripture. And I think that uh, probably more than any other generation, the responsibility is on us to do something with the availability of the word that we have. It'll change your life, but you've got to read it. You've got to open it. 
You've got to read it systematically. You've got to come prayerfully and say, God, what is it that you want to speak to me about? Is there something I need to learn? Is there something I need to change? God will speak to you. If you come with that open heart and that prayerful attitude, God will speak to you and he's going to show you what it is to worship him in spirit and in truth. He's going to show you what it is to be a genuine and a real worshipper of the Most High God. You cannot not read the Bible and not be changed by it. And it's one of the key ways that the Holy Spirit uses us to change us, to help us go through this metamorphosis that we need to go through, a change of form, changing our heart, changing our attitude, changing our minds. Uh, reading the Bible is so important. I don't know if you have a, a plan or a program that you use, um, but we're coming up to the 1st of January. Good place to start again. Doesn't matter if you've tried before and you've only got through till you know, mid-February, so let's start again. <laughs> You know, God will speak to you as you read the word. I think that's one of the key ways that we're transformed. I think the other way that we're transformed is in community, fellowship. You know, coming together as brothers and sisters is not a, a suggested add-on. It's essential for us, particularly, I think, in the days ahead, even more so. The Magi came. They didn't come as individuals. They came together. They worshipped God together. Something happens when we get together corporately and we come and worship Jesus as the bridegroom, the bride comes, the bride's looking to the bridegroom, the bride is worshipping the bridegroom. We can only do that in community. You can't, when, sure, you can whack on a worship tape at home and you can you worship God and that's great. But there's something different when we come together as the body of Christ. It's essential. And it will help to transform us. It will help to enhance and lift our worship of Jesus. Of course, prayer. You know, praying. Praying like we, we, we've done in the service already, but praying in your own lives, praying together, praying that God will show you who he is. Lord Jesus, reveal to me who you are. You know, I want to know you more. <laughs> There's so much I don't know. Like the Magi, when they commenced the journey, there was so much they don't know. There's so much I don't know about God. But I'm praying. I want to know more about God. My heart is to, to see him, to understand him. Uh, well, I know I'll never understand him, but to know him more than I do. And that will change my life. Man, if we could see the resurrected Jesus, our lives would never be the same. <laughs> our lives would never be the same. The King of kings, the Lord of glory, who died on a cross for us. And when we pray and ask God to reveal himself to us, as we're reading the word, as we're fellowshipping together, I believe that he'll do that. I believe that when we give, we're transformed. Because we're making a statement, Lord, it's not about me, it's about you. You know, if he's Lord of your bank account, he's Lord of everything. <laughs> and I think there is something when we give these spiritual disciplines of, of reading the word, of fellowshipping together, of praying, you know, worshipping together, of living sacrificial lifestyles. These things will enhance our worship of God. They will draw us closer into the presence of God. I think the story of the Magi confronts each and every one of us and asks us for a response. What's your response to Jesus going to be? Are you going to get angry like Herod did? Well, it's just, well, a little bit of apathy. It doesn't really matter. I've heard something like this before. Or are we going to be like the Magi? And I would suggest that this is a required and correct response. 
where we bow down before Jesus and we worship him and we give him everything that is of value that we have and lay it before his feet and say, Jesus, we're bringing it all to you. You do what you want to do with the things that we bring. This kind of worships everything. It's not just maybe if you decide to turn up on a Sunday. God doesn't need you to turn up on a Sunday. He wants more than that. <laughs> you know, he wants more than just the few dollars that you might flick to him and put in the box, you know. every He wants all of you. <laughs> he wants the whole lot. He wants your Sundays. He wants, your, he, he wants money. He wants your talents. He wants, he wants your devotion. He wants your attention. God demands all of us. And he is worthy of making that demand and he is worthy of receiving that response for us. This Christmas... This story reminds us to come and to worship Jesus wholeheartedly with everything that is within us. Can I encourage you on your journey today, wherever you are? Maybe you're more more qualified to preach this than, than I am. I have no doubt about that at all. Maybe you're just starting the journey. Maybe um, the Holy Spirit's saying, yeah, I, I think that I need to change my view of worship. Wherever you are on the journey, the Holy Spirit's with us and wants to take us further into the presence of Jesus. There was a, a verse from a psalm which I really love and, and I can't help from kind of separating it from the story of the, of the Magi. And it's Psalm 27 verse 4. One thing I ask from the Lord, this only do I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze on the beauty of the Lord and to seek him in his temple. You know, some Bible commentators, they talk about a fourth gift. They say, yes, there's the gold, which was a gift for a king. You know, there was the frankincense, which uh, it was an incense used to worship gods, you know, spoke of Jesus' as deity. There was the myrrh that was an anointing oil that was used to, to you know, probably anoint Jesus. And it was prophetic that how he was going to die. But they say there's another gift that the Magi bring. And it's the gift of worship. And that's the gift that that God is calling us to bring to Jesus today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the story of the Magi. We thank you, Lord, for uh, the gift that that story is to us. And Father, I pray that as we continue to think about this in the days ahead, Lord, as we continue to think about what it is to be a worshipper of the Most High God, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would encourage each and every one of us today, Lord, to come to that place that the Magi did, of bow down before the presence of Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to bring this gift to you. We thank you, Father, that you love us. We thank you for your Father's heart that's turned towards us each and every single moment of the day. We thank you, Lord, for Jesus. We thank you for the majesty of Calvary. We thank you for the price that was paid for us on the cross of Calvary 2,000 years ago. And Lord, we're grateful for the presence of your Holy Spirit in our lives today. Holy Spirit, we open ourselves up to you this morning. And Lord, we pray that you would come and, and uh, uh, Lord, encourage us in the journey that we're on, wherever we are on that journey. Come and encourage us. Lord, I pray that you would um, lift our eyes toward you 
in a way that we can see you in a way maybe we haven't seen you before. Lord, I pray that you would help us to worship you in spirit and in truth, that you'd help us to be worshippers, Lord, who would emulate the actions of the Magi that we've heard about today. Father, I pray for each and every person here. And I pray, Father, that even right now, we would all have a sense of the nearness and the presence of your Holy Spirit at work in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just while we're in this moment of prayer, we, we love to give each week an opportunity for people who don't yet know Jesus and haven't taken that first step in following him. So if you just could uh, close your eyes and bow your heads and we'll give an opportunity. If that's you and you're here today and God is calling you to put him first in your life and to uh, make him number one. If that's you, why don't you uh, put your hand up and I'd love to pray for you in this time. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to worship you, to see you as Lord, to be humble enough to recognize that you're God and we're not. And so, Lord, we thank you that your presence is here, that your anointing is here. Fill our hearts with your love and help us to do what we can. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you for being here. Why don't you give Pastor Glenn a, a, a round of applause. So delighted with today. I want to thank our worship teams and Twinkie and for all those that have uh, served. What's going to happen is our team is going to bring you some food and some uh, drinks. So hang around and say good day to somebody. And we've got one week to go next week for this year. So we'd love to see you there. If you're heading off, uh, some are travelling or got family stuff on and we don't get a chance to see you before Christmas, we want to say Merry Christmas and look forward to seeing you in the new year. God bless. Thank you for listening. You can find out more about City Lights Church at www.citylights.community.